Is your smile or your frown really contagious? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tachlis Talks. Growth-oriented, Parsha-related Torah podcasts. Before getting to this week's Parsha, question for those of you out there, particularly in Singapore and the Netherlands, yes, and doing our analytics recently, we noticed that after the USA, the two countries with the most Tachlis Talks listeners are Singapore and the Netherlands. And yes, I was rather surprised as some of you may be as well. And any of you out there that are in Singapore and Netherlands, or simply can tell me why it is that it's popular in those particular regions, I'd be really interested in knowing. Send me a message at talks at gmail.com and uh, share, hey, who, who you are and what you like about Tachlis Talks or what you don't like about it. Always looking for positive, you know, constructive criticism as well, but really curious to touch base with some of our Singapore and Netherlands listeners. And anybody else out there, even if you are in uh, maybe less exotic locations, always feel free to share your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, talks at gmail.com. Back to today's scheduled program. We're up to the Parsha of Vayigash. Vayigash literally means, and he came close. The Parsha opens with Yehuda, Judah, approaching Yosef. Joseph, who at the end of last week's Parsha had framed Binyamin, or Benjamin, claiming that he had stolen his goblet, and everything is pointing in that favor. The evidence seems to be there, and Binyamin is in major trouble. Yosef is saying that Binyamin, Benjamin, will stay as a slave in Egypt forever. The beginning of this Parsha, Yehuda is approaching Yosef and begging that, no, can there be any way out of this? I will stay as a slave in his stead. But if Binyamin does not go back home to our father Yaakov, that's it. Yaakov will not be able to bear the loss of Binyamin after he has lost Joseph, Yosef, Binyamin, the only sons of, of Rachel who died young. That will destroy our father. Let me stay in his stead. And the Vayigash is Yehuda's approaching Yosef with that request. The question many commentators grapple with is, what exactly is this Vayigash? They're already in relative proximity. What is this and he approached Yosef? It could be literally taking some steps toward him. As some understand it, it's an indication even of a threat. The Orachayim HaKadosh in his commentary shares something fascinating, which I think can lead into a significant tachlis message. He shares Yehuda was trying to utilize a principle that is described by the wise King Solomon in Mishle in Proverbs, Kemayim hapanim alpanim, just as the water reflects a face. Whatever face you share with the water is what you see back, or maybe in the contemporary, whatever you share with your mirror is exactly what's coming back to you. Well, so too came Lev HaAdam. Ella Adam, so too does one's heart reflect the other. And as the Arachim describes, in mustering up attitudes of closeness, one can generate responsive attitudes of closeness. And Yehuda was trying to do that. Despite all of the tension and difficulty and every reason to be so upset at Yosef and so, so concerned and so frightened, Yehuda tried to generate a feeling of concern and compassion toward Yosef. And in so doing, he was attempting to manipulate a similar response from Yosef to him. This principle that show me, 
you know, put out a smile, you'll get one back. Put out a warm feeling, you'll get one back. Provided that it's on the lave level as well, on the heart level, it's genuine. Is a principle described already in Proverbs, and a reality that permeates our world. We know that it's, it's easier to smile when you are seeing smiles around you. Easier to frown when you're surrounded by frowns. But how extreme this goes! A story that is told much more contemporary than the Parsha, but still back uh, probably about 200 years, describes and actually one of the parties to the story, one of the young men in the story grew up to be one of the great sages, Rabbi Nachum Shardikar of, of Europe. Uh, and the story actually was told over afterwards by Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld of the greatest sages of Jerusalem in the uh, earlier part of the last century. The story is told that the town uh, of, of the story had in it an unfortunate situation with a Moser. Moser was the term for somebody who would rat on others to the local authorities and remembering that there was very often no straight system of justice and uh, things were generally stacked against the Jews. Heavy anti-Semitic policies and taxation and often uh, kidnapping of young men and pulling them into the army. And people would literally be hiding their assets that they not be seized by the government, or hiding their children that they may not be seized by these local military units. And the Moser was the corrupt individual who would give people all types of trouble, destroying people's finances, destroying people's lives, by ratting on them and getting them into trouble, where again, it wasn't legit, it wasn't justice, but it was simply the whims of the local authority that was going to take advantage of the hapless Jews. Well, the Moser in this town, aside from all his cruelty, but also due to the fact that he had so many governmental friends because he kept supplying them with info, used that to demand of the Jewish community that they also treat him with reverence and respect, always giving him an aliyah at the Torah, giving him honors, until the new rabbi showed up in town. The new rabbi was going to have nothing to do with that, and demanded that this Moser be treated simply as the bum that he was, and he was not going to accord him any honor and respect, and he demanded that when he caused people's pain and distress, they would be prosecuted for it. And that was frightening to the entire town, and particularly frightening to the young man in the story who grew up to be Rabbi Nachum Shadakar, because he was traveling with this rabbi, he and one other student, when they were in a wagon and remote from town, nothing surrounding them that could provide them any defense or protection, when this Moser and his cohorts chased after them and blocked the road and demanded that they get out of the wagon. And, uh-oh, this is trouble. Well, the rabbi and the Moser are basically standing off, viewing each other, looking into each other's eyes, and after a few moments, the Moser drops down to his knees and begs the rabbi forgiveness. And when the story was over, and this young Rav Nachum asks the rabbi, well, what, what just happened? The rabbi described, As I faced him, I was developing a sense of compassion, inner sense of care and concern. What led the person to be such a threat to our community? What led him to be so, so detached from having any positive connections with our community as simply a, a rebel and causing such torment? And I started feeling, must be, they had a very, very difficult upbringing. 
must be that he suffered a lot as a child, must be that he had no natural common ways of developing social and financial power and clout and esteem, and he had to resort to such treacherous, unfortunate ways. Now, we don't let people off the hook because of that alone, but having that feeling inside of me allowed me to feel so different about him that it generated a similar reaction in him, and he felt differently about me. Kemayim ha-panim al-panim, lev ha-adam adam that back to that water reflecting our face, and so to the heart reflecting the heart. Well, that's what Yosef is doing, I'm sorry, Yehuda is doing by generating feelings of compassion and concern for this viceroy slash his brother Yosef. And that is what occurred in this story. And what about in our more standard situations where we're not facing off with what seems to be vicious viceroys or horrendous mosers, but we've got that person with whom we just don't seem to click in the workplace or the the partner in a relationship or the parent or a child with whom things right now are not so hunky-dory and there's a certain distance, there's a certain, maybe worse than distance, but a certain clash. To what degree can we reverse that by generating feelings of concern and care and compassion? I was looking to a text recently how many phenomenal educators use this so successfully because it really reflects who they are. They look at the child in the classroom who is, in many other teachers' view, the troublemaker, the one who's likely to cause all types of disruption, and they view the child with an attitude, a genuine attitude of, I wish I knew what was bothering that child. It must be something. They start with the level of concern rather than he or she are the enemy. And how so often that alone helps them develop a relationship where others have failed. Uh, I've seen many people address how they had difficulties in life until they met up with the famed educator of a David Trink, passed away just within this past year, a, a phenomenal individual. You can get a sense of who he is by the book, the biography that's already been published. It's called Just Love Them. And how by him exuding love for his students, so many who otherwise didn't connect with rabbis or teachers or Talmudic study or yeshiva, turned around because they just felt that love. Now again, story after story, are there going to be exceptions? And there may be people, you know, there's sometimes that the mirror is so cloudy, the water is so murky, you're not seeing the face shining back at you at all. But the principle is there and worth our attempting to use it. So, Hopefully, none of you are facing situations that are as threatening or as treacherous as somebody chasing after your horse and buggy while you're in a remote territory. But when facing situations that are less than comfortable, instead of maintaining an attitude of it's me versus them, let's try this. Let's try to apply this. I'm going to make my heart have an attitude towards that other party towards that distinting party, towards that disturbing student, toward that troubling uh, member of the team, I'm going to have an attitude of care and concern, and I feel bad. I feel bad that they are not able to be more socially connected. I feel bad that they're not able to be uh, more part of the team, part of the chavra, so to speak. I feel bad for them truthfully. I care about them. 
I'm concerned. I have my general mitzvah of love your neighbor like yourself, and they're one of my neighbors. There's somebody out there. They're part of the general mitzvah of Avas Yisrael. They're part of the big pact out there, and I need to be developing and, and portraying a love towards them. So doing so can hopefully generate the reaction and the, and the return as well. That You'll get that reflection back your way. Doing so will allow ourselves and the people we interface with through the contagion of our smiles to both meal all the more likely to achieve our tachlis.